May peace be with you. If you stick around at the end, there's more information about our community and how to find us. And now, here's this week's Centering Scripture, followed by the sermon. Our scripture this morning is from 2 Corinthians. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to God's self through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, I may have foreshadowed the operative question of the day already, but I'll begin with it nonetheless. Have you ever showed up late to a rather important event, gathering, or celebration? Now, I'm not talking about fashionably late, as I know many of you, St. Lucas especially perhaps, may be prone to do here at the start of worship, but I'm talking like missed your child's piano performance during the recital kind of late. What do you do? Do you pretend like you were there all along and hope they didn't notice? Do you walk right back out the door to avoid the whole situation altogether? Do we find something else to blame, like traffic, or work, or family? It's an awkward situation, particularly when it's something important, and one that can be made worse if we then add to the harm by trying to overcompensate or justify the situation to relieve our own feelings of guilt or anxiety. There's a previous pastor I used to work with, um, now long retired, but I remember him recounting the story of a time that he forgot that he was supposed to be officiating a wedding. And he got a call from the bride and groom's families while he was outside mowing the lawn on a hot June day and had to rush off to officiate that wedding. Now, of course, this is one of those recounting horror stories of ministry and we're laughing back and forth and talking about this odd calling that we share. But I never asked what he did when he finally showed up. And how that went. I, I, we, the conversation had evolved elsewhere, but I wish that I had, because that, in some ways, is the operative question for us this to, to, to wrestle with today. What do we do if we're kind of late to the party on something that matters? Like recognizing and honoring Juneteenth, our nation's newest federal holiday. Commemorating June 19, 1865, the date when the Emancipation Proclamation ending slavery in the U.S. finally made its way to a community in Texas where hundreds of thousands of folks were still being forcibly enslaved for more than two years after they should have been freed. 
If you haven't heard of Juneteenth until recently, you are probably not alone. While there have been various recognitions of the event throughout history, it wasn't until the 80s and 90s that formal celebrations of Juneteenth began to take off, primarily in African-American communities in the South. I, for one, don't recall ever learning about Juneteenth in school, or an undergrad, or even in seminary in that matter. Now, I'm a white guy from a white family. I grew up in a predominantly white community. It was not a big part of my uh, background and story. Still, this thing that is now a national holiday was not being taught where I was growing up. In fact, even in most progressive spaces, most racial justice-oriented spaces that I was a part of, this date was not known or recognized or celebrated as a big deal. It was only after a certain former president tried to stage a campaign rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma on Juneteenth that the celebration was suddenly thrust into our national dialogue. The nerve and the outrage. And while that outrage, I think, probably was justified, I also found it interesting to hear such outrage coming from folks who weren't celebrating this holiday, or maybe didn't even know that it existed until this political flare-up moment. Fast forward now a couple years later, and this is our newish national holiday. And here it is, falling on a Sunday. And we, like many largely white congregations in our denomination, in our suburban area, are asking ourselves, so what are we going to do on this day? Do we celebrate Juneteenth? And if so, how do we do so? Do we do so acting like we've been here all along? I had that same conversation with a few pastors and professors of mine who are in their different locations and contexts trying to wrestle with, like, how, how do we do this in a way that's sincere and honest, that takes the day seriously but doesn't try to trivialize it or act like we've all been there all along? Now, I want to step back and simply say that it is a good and important thing to do, to join in celebrating these days. We should celebrate Juneteenth. We should celebrate Pride Day. These are good movements and moments to celebrate. And when we're late to the party, we should take a moment to humbly ask ourselves, how do we show up with humility, with grace, and with purpose. So, what should we do? Act like we've always been here, even though we haven't? Come with the weight of generations of guilt upon our shoulders for a day that's supposed to be a celebration? How do we show up when we're late to the party? Often in the face of such questions, the church points to this very Bible passage, Paul's articulation of the ministry of reconciliation. And we do so with good reason. This passage points to the hope that we are all longing for, a world made new with fully reconciled community. 
That is a vision worth articulating and celebrating and working for. It is a vision that, however, that is presented without a whole long list of what we can actually do to get our way there. Reconciled community, beloved community, everyone celebrating together. That is the destination, that is the goal, but there's still a journey that it takes to get there. I actually think that Paul's story in this passage has deeper layers of meaning, helpful layers of meaning for us, if we step back and remember a couple things. First, the way that this passage was described here, we, we tend to use a modern inclusive Bible, um, and Paul's words here said that we regard no one from a human point of view, but from now on, from Christ's view. Other passages typically translate this as we view no one as being in Rome, but rather we view them as being in Christ. That's important for two reasons. First, Paul writes and Jesus works in the age of the Roman Empire. One's relationship to Rome meant so much about your life. As the dominant source of power in the day, whether or not you were physically in the jurisdiction of Rome meant you could do or could not do certain things. And your identity within the Roman Empire often described the amounts of rights and privileges or abuse that you may have been subject to. When Paul talks about being in Christ rather than in Rome, he's not just talking about some spiritual concept. He is talking about one's allegiance no longer being to the empire, but being to the God who proclaims love and justice and liberation. Even if that means that your way of being will contradict what the empire says about what matters or about who matters or about which way of being we are called to serve. This is not a spiritual frou-frou in Christ pie-in-the-sky concept. Paul's articulation of being in Christ rather than in Rome is articulating a turning away from the empire that is bringing death and destruction toward a different way of being. The other thing that's helpful to remember is that Paul himself was famously late to the party. For most of his life, Paul was not Paul. Paul was known as Saul. He was one of the leading persecutors of Jesus' movement in his day. And it was only after his conversion and encountering Jesus and scales falling from his eyes, that whole story of his conversion, it is after that that Paul becomes a leader as a part of this movement. Now, in Scripture, we fast-forward through a whole lot of things, but after Paul has this encounter with Jesus and his followers, he spends three years in the desert, reflecting, growing, changing. 
before he then emerges as Paul, a part of this movement. Now, in progressive faith circles or liberal faith community circles, we don't often talk about the word conversion, but it is helpful and important. When we're talking about turning away from a power or a system or a way of being that has led to violence or horror for other people towards something new, Paul describing this reconciled community, he does so as one who has himself gone through a conversion into a new way of being. If Paul just tried to show up late to the party without doing any of that personal change work, I'm not sure he would have found a place to fit in. He may not have even been welcome. But what we see here is one who has done the hard work of changing his way of being, of moving from a place of dominance to a place of solidarity with the people, with the movement for justice and community. He has changed his life in order to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation. And that for us, I think is a helpful reminder as we wrestle as a justice-oriented congregation, a predominantly white congregation in a predominantly white area who is actively engaged in and working for racial justice in the world. We remember that we are not only working to improve the lives of others, we are working to change our very ways of being so that we ourselves as individuals are more deeply in solidarity we are changed ourselves as we then show up to the table. Now, this has been St. Luke's history time and time again throughout our lives. Whether chosen or not, we have encountered movements and moments working with the American Indian movement, working with Rene Hurtado, folks who've come into our lives, into relationship with us, and have shaken us up. Folks movements and moments that have changed us. They changed the trajectory of the church, this church, and to who we are today. And so as we think about what does it look like to join in a spirit of celebration this day, and what does it look like for a Presbyterian church in a pretty white suburban area to be embracing this moment? It should look like a celebration. And it should look like an intentional reminder and call for each of us to make sure that we are doing what we need in our own lives, our own hearts, our own spiritualities, to understand who we are when we're showing up to the table, to humbly repent when that may be needed, to recognize that we may carry some baggage of history alongside us, but to also recognize that everyone wants that baggage of history to be healed from, to be repaired, to be made anew. This is not a day for guilt or for shame. It is a day for reflection, maybe even repentance. But ultimately, it is a day for healing and repair and then joining in that great and beautiful music that announces jubilee.
a world where all may be free, a world where all, where all may thrive and be a part of community. Friends, we are not a congregation that should be kicking ourselves all along the way. And yet, we are also called to be humble as we continue in our own progress here. So as we consider Juneteenth, this joyful celebration, when the Emancipation Proclamation finally made its way to announce that all are free, as we hold that story alongside the reality that not everyone is truly free in this country or in our world, not everyone is equal, justice and equity are not here. Today, I pray that we may remember that this ministry of reconciliation is not a vision that is done. It is an invitation to an ongoing process to repent, repair, to heal, to work toward reconcile, reconciliation, and ultimately to join in the joy. So in a moment, we will join in singing uh, this wonderful choral piece, Total Praise. We will join in singing, lift every voice and sing as we move from opening repentance to this time of reflection into the spirit of community, celebration, and song. And we just remember that each of those movements and moments are probably happening within our bodies today. They're probably happening within our community. And each of those are faithful responses here in the moment. So may we repent, may we repair and reconcile, and ultimately, may we join our voices in that beautiful song of freedom, of justice, and liberation for all. Let's do some singing. As a church located on Lakota land in Minnetonka, Minnesota, St. Luke is a joyful, inclusive, intergenerational, and compassionate community on a spiritual journey seeking to do justice, make peace, and to walk humbly with God. We invite you to join us live for virtual worship each Sunday morning on Facebook or YouTube or by following the worship links on our website, stluke.mn. Thanks for listening. May you go in peace.